Welcome to Sport Management Review Insights. I'm your host, Vitor Sobral. More than 100 years ago, different companies began using sport and sport events to promote themselves. Today, of course, we call this sport sponsorship, and it's a vital part of sport event funding. And sport sponsorship is the focus of this episode, but from a slightly different perspective than the usual, that of the sponsee. And joining us to discuss this is someone who's published widely on sport events in general and on sport sponsorship more specifically. She's lecturer in the Marketing and Business Services Unit at Edith Cowan University. It's Ashley Morgan. Welcome, Ashley. Hello, Vitor. Thanks for having me. No, it's a pleasure. I don't know. We've had uh, quarantine issues to deal with in, in getting you on, so it, it's, it's great to finally hear you. Ashley and co-authors Tracy Taylor and Daryl Adair recently published Sport Events Sponsorship Management from the Sponsee's Perspective. Ashley, I think the entire sport industry right now is just so focused on sponsorship. The impact of COVID-19 has made that more paramount than ever before. How does this research help us better understand sports sponsorship? Yeah, I think it's interesting because we actually conducted this research well before COVID was around and the interviews that we conducted, COVID really wasn't um, in anyone's mind at all. So Interestingly enough, though, things like global financial crises were mentioned by the the interviewees. So I guess thinking about some global incidents uh, did come up in some of the data we collected. So what we were really looking at is from the event manager's perspective or the whole event organisation, really, how they can best manage sponsorship relationships to get value for not only the sponsors, because, of course, they want the sponsors to hang around and, and continue their sponsorship, but also for them as an organisation, how they can get the most value. So as you say, it's never been more pertinent really than during COVID to really understand what value is and how relationships can be strengthened when you go through some sort of tension or conflict. And in the case of COVID-19, it doesn't have to be internal within the sponsorship relationship. It can actually be external tension that can put on some of those pressures for both the sponsors and sponsee. It's interesting because usually I think most of the literature and you mentioned that in the paper and, and from what I've read, everything's about the sponsor. We have uh, you know, how much value did they get out of it, uh, brand recall, all that kind of thing. Why did you and, and your team and Tracy and Daryl come up with the idea of looking at it from the sponsee's perspective? Well, yeah, as you say, it, it does get a lot of attention from sponsors. And I guess that makes sense because that's where the money comes from. So you want to know what sponsors want, um, what their reasons why they terminate or reasons why they initially sign up for sponsorship. So you can see why historically that's been the focus. But I guess from our perspective, we wanted to look at it in terms of the other side of the relationship. So it's been long spoken about in, in sponsorship terms, uh, in terms of a, a sort of dyadic alliance or inter-organisational alliance between both partners. And in broader business research, a lot of attention has been given to inter-organisational alliances from both sides, from both partners' perspectives. So it really makes sense in, in a sponsorship context if we're looking at it from the perspective or the lens of the strategic alliance that we should be evaluating both sides and understanding what value means for, for both sponsor and sponsee. So by doing this, you're actually looking at it, uh, or you're understanding better both the sponsee and the sponsor. Yeah, and in the discussions, really, the focus was on what, the sponsors want. So the sponsee, the event that we focused on, really what they're trying to do is best service their sponsors while at the same time maintaining their own commercial integrity, making sure that their brand is is secure and and they're partnering with firms and companies 
which fit them strategically as well. So it's not, you can't, it's not uh, mutually exclusive. You can't look at each partner separately. They're very entwined in, in how they manage the relationship. And in the research, you know, you, I think you, you use relationship marketing theory, which I, I assume a lot of people know a lot about. But the, the one theory you've talked about and is really important is inter-organizational alliance theory. Can you just tell us, you mentioned it just before, but can you tell us a bit more about that, or what it is exactly and why it was useful uh, to look at it from this perspective? Yes, yeah, so I just um, mentioned briefly the, the broader business management type research that's been done in this space. And uh, if you look at some of the work done in inter-organizational alliances, there's been a bit of a debate over the past 20 or so years within that scholarship, looking at what is most important in terms of managing alliances. So is it the, the structural elements? So, you know, those, those more contractual type elements that are set up at the beginning of an alliance, or is it the relational side? And there's been a few different uh, scholars, a couple that are cited in the paper, Contractor and also Sulk, that about 15 years ago or so really came out and said, this is silly that we're having this debate between structural and relational. Within alliances, we need to be looking at a combination of both. And so when looking at two businesses, two organisations coming together, whether it's, you know, companies like Nike and Apple forming a strategic alliance, or it's an AFL club and their sponsor forming an alliance, it, it sort of is based on the same business premise, that it's two organisations coming together, joining their brands, both looking to get both individual plus also collaborative value. So for us, that idea of looking at sponsorship through a strategic alliance lens was really a great fit to look holistically at the sponsorship relationship. So it definitely doesn't take the Donald Trump understanding of alliance and how that works. No, no, absolutely not. To do this research, obviously a case study is quite useful, which is, which is what you used. What were you thinking of? How did the case study come about? And was it difficult to actually find one? Yeah, it was for, for commercial incompetence reasons. We can't, uh, we can't name the event we looked at. Uh, and understandably, because we we're asking about, you know, some very confidential marketing-based information. Uh, but what we wanted to look at was an event that has been very successful, so, and, and this is mentioned in the paper, it gives a little bit of a, a, an overview of uh, the, the commercial success in recent years of the event, because we wanted to look at an event that could really, you know, other events could look at or that this research could add value in terms of this is what to secure long-term partnerships. This is some of the things that are considered by this case study. So it was, you know, it took a little while of negotiations to get the, the project up and going, but once we did, it provided you know, a kind of exemplar case for us to look at to show for, for this event that has had, you know, historically it's got sponsorship deals that are going on 10, 15, 18 years, that it, it can show what kind of relational elements and also structural considerations are need to go into sponsorship longevity. I can just imagine you and the team popping champagne when they finally said, yes, we're happy to take part. <laughs> yeah, there were a few non-disclosure agreements thrown around. I could imagine. Now, you did interview uh, people in different roles, a variety of different roles. What did you find when, when you spoke to them? Yeah, we, we tried to talk to everybody within the, the sponsorship sector. But what we found was that it was quite closely linked with other areas of, of the commercial branch of the organisation. So we did talk to all sponsorship account managers. Uh, if you think of sort of an organisational chart, I guess they're kind of down, down the bottom. They're the front-facing, customer-facing in this sense, the sponsor-facing uh, positions 
And then we went up to sort of sponsorship managers and then up to the head of commercial. And it was interesting hearing the different perspectives, particularly around, I guess, what the triggers of tension or conflict within sponsorship relationships are. So for the account managers, there was a lot of discussion around power struggles. So you've got some really big brands that are sponsoring this event and they sort of think they know how things should be run. So those account managers that are the front faces and and they're dealing with the sponsors on a day-to-day basis, uh, they go through those power struggles regularly, whereas the head of commercial uh, didn't really see any of that sort of conflict. So I guess that was that was interesting from, from our perspective to see those different levels of relationship formation and what not only negative, I shouldn't focus on just attentions, but what also creates value within those different uh, echelons of, of the organisation. It's interesting you say that because uh, when I worked at a, a football club for a while, I won't mention names, but there were some sponsors that I felt were trying to uh, influence things that even sometimes they weren't even a part of, but telling us how to do things. So is that similar to, to what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think every, every brand has their own agenda. And when you come to a, a, an event and particularly a major event or mega event, you've got a whole family of sponsors. Oh, well, football club as well. You, really, any context of, of sporting events or leagues, clubs, you've got a whole family of sponsors. So the sponsee sees that and they have to manage the whole family But for the individual sponsors, it can be a little bit individual. So they see their own agenda and they're trying to push that without really seeing uh, the overall family tree of the event. And that did actually come up in our our research was uh, the idea of creating more collaboration between the sponsors. So instead of sponsors historically for this event, for this case study, instead of sponsors sort of being in conflict with one another and trying to get more value than the other sponsor, they were actually the event was bringing them together, bring the sponsors together in a sort of uh, forum where they would go away for a weekend and they would get to know each other and try to create not just co-branding between one sponsor and the event, but co-branding within the whole family of sponsors and, and to create much more collaboration. So we found that really interesting finding. Was there any other findings you, you, you found that you were like, oh, that, that's, that's really important. We, we really uh, stumbled on something here. Uh, one of the main things, and like this is even more important now given COVID, was I think looking at or considering the difference between an event, so in our case it was an annual event, compared to a seasonal sport league or, or team that plays in a season. And so this came out in our findings, that, that sort of struggle for events to compete against season sports because they only have uh, such a short sort of life cycle for that year. They've got to get bang for their buck for their sponsors in a very short time period. And I think that that's also coming up with um, in COVID times now because you can see that for events, that those events are cancelled. They're, they're, not, they're not happening. The sponsors aren't getting those uh, on-site and digital opportunities that they would if the event was happening. Whereas leagues and teams are somewhat in a better position because they can still leverage their sponsorship through uh, their athletes uh, and through their digital media platforms. So I think that difference between event sponsorship and league and team sponsorship is actually really interesting to kind of break down and look at where value is coming from, how you can maximise value, um, particularly in the face of a, a global pandemic. 
really interesting that the, the league and the, and the team is a, a really important or, or, or perhaps a, a, a sport event that not everyone has, has looked at before. I just say that because that's my research. Anyway, Ashley, uh, the really important question from the academic perspective, how does this advance our knowledge? How does this advance our understanding of sports sponsorship? Well, I think from the very beginning, what we're talking about, it, that we're just looking at it from the perspective of the rights holder. So we want to really understand how these relationships work and maximise value for both parties. And what well, we think, our, our research team, we think that that's, that's pretty impossible if you're not looking at it from the, the organisation's perspective that really holds the rights that, that the sponsors want to seek value from. So we're looking to expand the idea of, of relationship marketing within a sponsorship sense to not just be about how you're satisfying the objectives and, and, you know, meeting those quotas for the sponsors, but how you're actually doing that for the event as well. And Ashley, um, how does this advance our, our understanding, our knowledge of the theory? Well, what we've extended is really looking at strategic alliance theory in the space of sports sponsorship. So that has been mentioned previously, but not really looked at empirically. And so from that perspective, what we've seen is that some of those components of strategic alliance theory are really transferable across the sports sponsorship space. So the main findings that that come out of this research really are considerations around partner compatibility around event strategy and creating value for the property that then can be sold on to the sponsors, and then really understanding the the importance of interpersonal relationships and the impact that those uh, interpersonal connections can have, particularly if an organisation goes through a period of staff turnover. So considering that in COVID, where we know in the sport industry, lots of people have uh, lost their jobs, there's obviously going to be some shake-up in terms of those personal relationships too. So uh, basically looking at strategic alliance theory, extending it across um, within the realm of, of sports sponsorship space. The other really important question that I think is extremely important is, especially in these times, you're in charge of a sport event, you're in charge of a sport team, a sport league, and you're working in the sponsorship area. What do you do, Ashley? What's your advice for people in those positions? I actually think so. I, I come at it from a marketing perspective, but I actually think the lawyers need to step up a little bit here because in particularly in, in, a, in time of COVID, that traditionally sponsorship contracts have been quite rigid and this can create tension within the relationship. And I think moving forward, what we need to see is more creative contractual measures that, that really allow contracts to be a little bit more agile. So you still want certainty to be within sponsorship contracts, but you want them to be a little bit more flexible. And I would be considering writing a contract based on value rather than based on time. We always hear about sponsorship contracts, someone's Nike's just signed a new three-year deal with someone. Whereas when something like global pandemic hits, time becomes a bit irrelevant because, you know, the world is kind of stopped for a while for this year. So in terms of contractual, uh, if it was based on value, it might limit some of that conflict and tension that, that's now being confronted. So I'd say a more collaborative uh, approach as well. There's, of course, no one-size-fits-all answer, but more flexibility within contracts, I think, will, will create value for the sponsors but also for the sponsees. Time is a philosophical social construct, Ashley. A brilliant answer. I guess in a, in a practical sense, so you're saying in, instead of the three-year contract, you, you have a contract where if we meet certain targets or certain objectives, then that's our, that's our deal. 
yeah, and then that doesn't mean you have to cease the contract. Um, that could be then you you renegotiate. And particularly when you look at the um, expanse and advances of digital platforms, that you don't really know what opportunities there are going to be in six months for the sponsorship. So, of course, brands and strategy are not stagnant, but then you add in digital platforms and things are changing all the time in marketing. So I think being a little bit more flexible will actually help in that sense too, not just when a pandemic hits. Ashley, I think it's really important advice, really important research for everyone, particularly at this time, but also in the future, who knows what, what's going to happen. So it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much. No worries. Thanks for having me. And thanks for listening to Sport Management Review Insights. At the Sport Management Review website, you'll find all the latest research being published, including the article discussed in this episode, Sport Event Sponsorship Management from the Sponsee's Perspective, from Volume 23, Issue 5. That's it for this episode, but take a look. There's plenty more that you can download to your favorite podcast player. Until then, it's bye for now.